The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Juice the magic, you know. We can talk about it. You let's, got a lot of stuff. Let's juice the magic. I got a lot of stuff, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. That's well, all it takes. Welcome to issue 254 of Super Skull for the week of November 13th, 2019. It's your weekly new comic day audio digest. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm here with Nick Bertsos. It me. And his mustache. I have a mustache. Secrets out. Every time we record uh, an episode of Super Skull with Nick Bertsos. The listener doesn't hear all of the edits out of his mustache. Ruffling against the microphone. And also just the sound, the the, the at-rest sound your mustache makes. Yeah, it's like an electric hum. Yeah, to me it sounds like it's screaming. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's trying to escape nonstop. And I, and I guess also you, we probably cut out also all of the times that I reach out to touch it and you tell me to stop. Oh, we... I know them. Yeah. Yeah. I have them all watermarked on my but the li- But the listener doesn't ever get to experience that with us. Do I say timestamp or watermark? I don't know what you just said. Doesn't matter. Cool. I just like that you're touching my mustache. I just, w- I, I want to reach out for it. It's really distracting. It's uh, it's No Shave November. Do you participate in No Shave November? Um, Classically, yes. This year I was challenged by, I'm a high school teacher and one of the boys that can't grow facial hair challenged me again i've mm-hmm. already won yes and now i just i'm lazy i don't like shaving yeah so i mean really no shave november can just really be any time that you're feeling lazy feeling lazy ready for november do you for if you have a mustache do you go no trim november and let i don't the mustache trim. get wild the mustache get does get wild it gets it goes from like normal to push broom yep. to like walrus yeah and it's kind of like a cool metamorphosis. Over the course of one month. Over the course of one month. I love it. I've got a slow facial hair, I'll say. Yeah. And it doesn't come in right. Fascinating listening. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Um, do you want to just start the show? What do you Actually, think? Actually, I'd like to talk about something. Please. Um, I was on the internet. Yep. And you know those like pop-up ads that- I love those. Oh, they're the best, right? Yep. So- I'm on my normal websites that are just not safe sure. for your computers. Yeah. And what comes up but, hey, want 500 free extra bucks? And of course I click it because it's it's flashing. It's 500 free extra bucks, yeah. And who want, doesn't want 500 extra free dollars? You just like, unless you, yeah, who's just got it like that, that they don't want 500 free dollars? Yeah, it total, makes total sense to me. So some prints said okay. that if I review the Superstall show, I get 500 free dollars. Oh. I have to go to iTunes. I just, I give it a five-star review, maybe four stars. Yeah. Um, I really, uh, I was listening to last week, the week before. I'm not sure when, but I really liked your earnest assessment of what you deserve. Better than four. Yeah. Maybe not five. Maybe it's not five, <laughs> but because you can't do four. Yeah. You just, it's just. Might as well. Just call it a five, round it up to five. Round it up. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm here to claim my $500. Yeah. The prince said, I just need to, I mean, it seemed kind of steep, like a weird thing that I had to be on the podcast. Yeah. 
and review. I reviewed. This is why you wanted to be on the podcast. I gave podcast you the five stars. So badly this week. And this is why I'm glad you returned my calls. Yeah. I late for rent. Uh-huh. So I this need... whole this whole bit where we wherein we try to earnestly get our listeners to to give us a like, you're equating to a an internet scam. Yes. Is what you're saying. Right. Okay. I fell for it. Cool. And you fell for it. And I you, fell for it. But reviews that you you are a uh, sometimes host on this podcast. Right. That those reviews are suspect. So we need other people to do it. Oh. And are you then offering our listeners five hundred dollars a piece if they leave reviews for us? I on, know a guy. Apple Podcast. I know a guy who is definitely doing that. Oh. Okay. So. So you you can put them in touch. Yeah, I can definitely put you in touch. So go to Apple Podcast. Yes. Rate this podcast four to five. Yeah. Maybe five. Sure. Uh. Write a review. Write That's a, how you find it, right? Why not? Why yeah. is that? You can actually give a review of like this thing that we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, want. yeah. Wow. That'd be great. That'd be great. And, and, and it's five-star material. And we'll put that name in the show notes yeah. for the uh, prince that's going to give you the $500. That sounds great. And you're going to just write my check, or is it like Venmo sitch? Um, Yeah, we'll get into that after okay. we do that's the fine. numbers. That's totally fine. Comic and graphic novel sales were up a staggering, stag- I say staggering. How staggering are they? 14% up. That's a lot. In October. That is a $7 million increase, the single best month of comic book sales in three years, my friend. Wowza. According to uh, the data geniuses at Comicron.com, they also note that this is the fourth best month of sales in the last decade. Jeez. So, best single month in three years, fourth best month of sales in the last decade. And the you might be aware that this has been a, a pretty uh, rough year for comics overall. It's been pretty flat to down pretty much over the course of the whole year. Correct. Holding real, real steady, but just like within a percent, like less than a percentage point above last year. Mm-hmm. And so every month we're just like subject to, to losing it and not being better than last year, which is never what you want. Did it just feel lit? In the comic <laughs> shop this month. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in October? Yeah. So and Last I, month. I don't know that we really noticed it. Hmm. Um, and we had a it, was a, it was a fine month in the comic shop, but I certainly didn't feel 14% better uh, yeah. for us. Um, it felt good when I was in there. Yeah. Oh, well, good. It, yeah. smell, it smelled okay? Yeah, it smelled great. The cool. windows were clean. Cool, cool, cool. So this is over $56 million in comics sold uh, to comic shops over the last month. And that is 8.2 million copies, my friend. Cheapers. Of single-issue comic books. Floppy comics. That's awesome. It's uh, it's something. October saw some major releases behind the increase. So this is the... Namely, we can chalk a lot of this up to the conclusion of Marvel and John Hickman's House of X, Powers of Ten series. Never heard of it. This was a big Marvel kind of crossover-ish event that led Mm. into the release of the new X-Men series. It was extremely popular and also pretty good. It was really Which good. is two things that usually don't go together. Correct. And this is the end of the series putting up really big numbers like this, which is also very strange. Yeah, I've I've heard that this is it's not acting the way that normal comics do in that, you know, the first issue is a huge seller yep. and then the second issue re- a huge fall off yep. in numbers, third issue even more so. Yes. I heard that the numbers are just rising, 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 rising. Yeah, cuz that same month we also saw the release of X-Men number 1, which is also by Jonathan Hickman, also from Marvel Comics obviously, and uh that was the uh that was the follow-up to this like we were saying to this House of X Powers of 10 stuff and it claimed the number 1 spot for the month, 
which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the you and you read. We've talked at length on this uh, show about this book. I don't think there's any way getting around the fact that this is like that series in and of itself. It's the biggest comic book event of the year. Like if for you, sure, if you care about superhero comics or single issue comics, like this is the thing that will like define 2019 when people think about like, well, how are comics doing in 2019? It was like the year that House of X came out. Uh, 100% agree. It's also like it's just good sci-fi. Yeah. Um, it helps. It helps that it's good. Yeah, it, it very much helps that it's good, and yeah, it's great that it's popular. You know who landed in the number two slot? One hundred eighty-six thousand copies sold. Mm, more X Men. It was our friend Spawn. No. Yeah. Number Holy two spot. Shit. This was uh, the landmark three hundred and first issue of Spawn, and uh, this so- is a record breaker. This I want was, you to know. This was the record breaker. 301 issues. Todd, ble- uh, Todd bless us yep. 301 times. Hey, Todd bless you. I haven't told you that today. Hey, Todd bless you today. And uh, 186,000 copies sold is is pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. Uh, did Was not able to snatch that number one spot, though. X-Men number one, 255,000 copies in the number one slot. Uh, won the month walking away. Do you remember how many Spawn number 300 sold? Not off the top of my head, no. Okay. I mean, it was probably around a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, it was a couple hundred thousand. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah I don't remember. 301. 301. And 300 was a big deal. And mm-hmm. then 301 is they really did a good job of milking that Guinness oh. Book of World Records well, breaking, et cetera. Image was Todd blessed with Todd. Yep, exactly. Uh, but the big two, they had a pretty good month uh, overall. So Marvel had their best month in dollar sales since 2016. That's crazy. That's when the release of uh, we saw the release of Civil War Two, ooh, which is kind of what buoyed Marvel way back in 2016, dark times. And then DC put out more titles in October, 94 titles than in any month since 2017. DC Comics has been trying this thing where they're trying to reduce the number of titles that mm-hmm. they put out, and that has been the case over the course of the entire year. October there's a kind of a spike in the number of titles, uh, 94 titles released. Jeez. That Great. is that makes me happy about X Men. Like uh, 2016 sounds pretty bleak mm-hmm. when the uh, the most notable occurrence was Civil War Two. Tell me about it, dude. Holy, yeah, cannoli. that's pretty grim. Uh, so graphic novels, on the other hand, single issues had a great month. Graphic novels continue their slow, sad decline. Mm-hmm. We are looking at in the direct market down and 3.32 percent in October compared with the previous year. Uh, yep, and this is the story of graphic novels. Been the story all year. Mm-hmm. There's nothing for it. It's just what's up. And this is because more Barnes and Nobles are selling. More places are selling graphic novels. Do you yeah. think? Well, we and we've talked about this before, but like the the consent. This is, I don't know this. This is my. I need the facts. This is my opinion, and I'll pretend it is a fact. Okay, that's fine. Uh, that there is an explosion happening in like interest in comic books and graphic novels, specifically in the all ages sector, mm-hmm. and people are not going to comic shops to pick those up. And when okay. we so when we talk about these numbers and when we talk about these declines, we're talking about what's happening in comic shops exclusively, mm-hmm. right? The direct market. And yeah, like you're saying, you can get this stuff. People are really interested in it, but you can get it online. You can mm-hmm. get it at big chain bookstores. You can get a lot of these books that in Walmart or yeah. whatever. I went to Target, saw a huge dog man display. Yep. So, so I mean, I, I chalk that up to the, you know, the, the, the management and stock management and approach of comic shops in general. 
I lay this mm-hmm. at, at their feet, and it's kind of a bummer. Um, this is uh, it's going to be the biggest challenge for for comic shops going forward because single issues, as you know, mm-hmm. are fickle, Correct. and weird, and so weird, and they take like huge dips for reasons that are like really hard to track and to plan for, mm. and then sometimes stuff spikes, but you can't reorder it. So all the money that you might have been able to make on a really exciting title, you can't make it. And what you can o- reliably order are graphic novels, but not if nobody's going to comic shops to get them right so this is it's it's a it's a big problem in the direct market i didn't buy any dogman comics at the target thank you for I, not doing that i would buy them at the vault of midnight Th- thank you or just whatever your you know your local comic shop it doesn't have to be vault of midnight but you're you right know, you're just right. your local comic shop if my local comic shop sold slacks yeah or button-up shirts yes or i don't know something weird like airborne Mm-hmm. Or vitamins. What's Airborne? Airborne is like a, a it's like an Alka Seltzer tab. Uh-huh. Am I really aging myself now? Yeah, yeah. It's like a no. Alka your face does that. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like an Alka Seltzer tab. Now okay. we're gonna get mean, I guess. Oh, so like when you you're on the plane. In, yeah, you put it in. You put it in some water. I put it in a sparkling water. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes it feel fancy. Um, it makes like a little a fake vitamin cocktail that I've read on the internet does nothing. Yeah, probably not. It does. I'm sure it does nothing, but it makes me feel like maybe I'm not going to get sick. Especially not if you do what I I know you're doing, which is putting rosé in it. I don't put any rosé in you. I know you do. I have put wine. Yes. I have put wine yes. in the sparkling water and then put <laughs> the vitamin thing in and then been like, this is a it. nice little afternoon. Yeah. I love sparkling. It's, I love sparkling water and wine. It's for my health. It's for my health. So yeah, we'll get right on that and start. Anyway, if you yeah, if you guys start carrying that, I would never go to Target again. And I would just live at Vault of Midnight. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, so, but overall, we can say so. You good guys, October. That's great. It was a good October. Uh, and we're talking about when we look at the whole year now. We're we're we pulled over one percent improvement. We're oh, at one point eight one percent improved. Over 2018, as amazing as that October was, we're creeping up on a two percent improvement over the previous year. If we get if we can get one more percent, then we're basically at cost of living. Super duper lit October. Yeah, almost two percent. This October also had five weeks compared mm. against five weeks in the previous year. I know that was going to be your next question, so let me just get right ahead of it. Thank we're, you. We're comparing comparable months. It's fun how you can read my mind. I know two right. nicks. One podcast. Two nicks, one mind, one heart. And those are the numbers. Let me ask you something. You, uh, as a reader of comic books, do you care about these numbers? I love... You be honest. No, I, um, I love the music that plays. <laughs> not the segment, but like the, not the segment on this podcast, which is very charming and good. But, so charming. But do you, as a person that read comics, care about what's happening in the business industry of comics? I find it And very how the money moves around. I think it's very interesting. The money stuff is interesting. Um, the direct market is so weird. Yeah. And like you said about single issues, like this this was something I didn't know until I started doing the po- or I started listening to the podcast, especially. Um, I also I did I did a little bit of 
comic research on my own mm-hmm. for a website a, a number of years ago. Yeah. But when you were a comic journalist. When I was a comic journalist. Yeah. Uh, that's a very strong term for what we were doing. But uh, just the fact that, like, Curtis has to guess how many he thinks people might be into mm-hmm. and then proceed to sell those, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Or he has to guess how many people are going to be interested in this on the first day, yeah. even. It's just, it's a very strange business. Yep. Um, and it, I think it's interesting. And I just wonder as like a, because you're in the one way or the other, whether you are helping out with this show or not, you're in that comic shop every single week. You're you're picking up comics. Oh yeah. You're reading single issue comics. Correct. And that that already makes you, you know, a rare breed. I'm a part of the industry. Yes. You're a part of the industry. And I and I just always what like if you ever notice the fact that like or if you ever think about the fact like hey what's wow how are comic books doing or is that just something that like never enters your mind? It's like oh, I'm just gonna read cool shit and make fun of bad shit. Uh, I try to, and I also think about the trends like um, something I was thinking about the other day when. Uh, I was, well, it was the other day because I was looking at the comics that we were going to read for this podcast and thinking like, man, I remember uh, five years ago when Image would have just crapped out three new number ones. Every one of them was a banger. Sure. And what were the numbers better? I think about that kind of stuff. Like, were the numbers better back then? Were people picking up these number one issues? Because all the number ones that we got today, I would not necessarily have picked up. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't have, yeah. honestly. If you just saw them sight unseen. Yeah. Even with like, even with someone like Matt Kent, yep. who I enjoy his work, I wouldn't have picked up this number one. Now, here's my question for you. When did you start reading comics in this way? In the, in the way that you're into comics now, mm-hmm. right? Did that start five, six years ago? Um, I would say it started, yeah, five or six years ago. So this is my theory okay. that I've never said out loud, but now I'm going to oh, say into a microphone. Wait. That there, it also the the hobby was kind of exploding. I don't want to call it a hobby, but like you know, the medium was really lifestyle exploding and like doing neat stuff at that point. And a lot of the excitement around it, and a lot of the really strong sales numbers that we saw as a result, I think were people reading this stuff for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so all these number ones, like oh my god, everything's better than the last. Every book I read is better than the last thing I read. Like what. I, I got in because I wanted to read Saga or whatever. Sure. And that opened the door to like all of this like cool superhero shit and all these image number ones and so on and so forth. And now that you're half a decade in and the novelty is gone, are mm-hmm. these, if you had read these number ones, some of these number ones five years ago, probably do you, it would have, it would have blown my mind to read if I was just getting into comics to read. I don't think the quality is worse now. I think quality is as good or better now. But the it, the novelty of like being really excited about this new thing maybe? Sure. I, I, does, does that no, I 100% ring true agree. at all? I think also though it's uh hmm, that's hard. I I don't think that the quality is worse, but I think maybe that the ideas like I keep coming back to this Matt Kent thing. Yes. This, uh, he released a new book on Boom Studios called Folk Folklords. Folklords. He'll play off the word folklore. Yep. Get it now? Yep. Okay. It was pretty and cute. It's super cute, and we don't need to get into it, but it's sort of like a play on your on folklores. Like, yeah. this guy lives in a fantasy world, and he has fantasies about uh, the real world. Mm-hmm. And he wears a suit and tie because that's what his fantasies, that's what people wear in there. Yeah. Um, 
and you know they line up on their on some special day and they get their their life quests yes. and they're going to find themselves like you know kind of like a fantasy trope turned into a different angle mm-hmm. i don't know like i feel like i've seen the fantasy tropes turned into other angle turned turning yeah. angles like that yeah i've seen that before yes. maybe i'm just not surprised or i'm desensitized to like a clever I think this is catch. A, this is a perfect example because it's a clever pitch, mm-hmm. right? Like this kid wants to go on his quest, the the protagonist of the story, and the he wants to go find out who the folklords are, the people that write the stories. Sure. Because everybody in the book is like a fantasy village cliche, mm-hmm. right? Correct. And the premise is that like, you know, and we're given to believe that they're all constructed fictional characters that someone has created, yeah. and they all live in this town together until they go off on a quest, which is when somebody writes about them, mm-hmm. right? And uh, this kid wants to go find out the people, the folklords, the people that that make the books. That's a pretty, like you say, it's a it's a twist on the fantasy thing. It's taking something that we're very familiar with and it's looking at it from a different angle. It's totally solid and well written, and the art is great. Great. And if that book had come out five years ago. And I hadn't read a bunch of like twists on the the fantasy trope thing. Mm-hmm. I think this book would have blown my mind. Yeah, maybe it could. It would have the potential to. Yeah, it's not for nothing. But I was I was just curious if that rang true to you at all. That like mm-hmm. you know uh, that there, I, I it doesn't feel like that there is a shortage of at least like interesting number ones coming mm-hmm. out right now. But it is harder and harder to get people to give a shit. As, yes. as a retailer, we've noticed that like I'm reading books that seem really, really solid and that are as good or at, or better than stuff that was coming out half a decade ago, and and yet the buy-in is it's tougher. I think that is true. I will I will very earnestly say it takes a lot more for me to to pick up a number one than it did five years ago. Yeah. Where else? And, whereas before you would have just be like, hey, it's a new comic and like, who knows what the, my new favorite thing could be. Right. And this was, and five years ago, not to not to dwell on the past, but like, yeah, Saga gets you in and then maybe you take a chance on sex criminals or you, you're like, maybe I'll go back to the superhero stuff. And, and at the time, Scott Snyder's writing the best Batman around back then. Mm-hmm. And then that leads you down a rabbit, like a rabbit hole to Scott Snyder, uh, The Wake, for sure. example. And that art's really cool. And then you realize, oh, Rick, Rick Remender exists. Like, there's like all these parallels that it like leads you to these other places. I don't, I don't get that synergy mm-hmm. as much now. And I don't, I, it's, I don't get excited anymore. That's interesting. <laughs> No, it's, I do get excited still, and I and I just wonder how much of it is just the fact that like you you're every week you're in the comic shop, yeah, week in and week out reading this stuff. I turned my nose up immediately to a new Jeff Lemire book today. Yeah, that's like, I, that's ah, wild. Who cares? That's wild. Jeff Lemire is objectively one of the best writers in comics. I think he literally won the Eisner for best writer this year, didn't he? he, he or I mean, he's if he has one of them, if he didn't yeah. this year, he's won it. In he's previous definitely years. nominated. Yeah, and for, uh, like. And that's just kind of where we're at. It's like this embarrassment of riches yeah. that like makes the whole thing harder to wrap your arms around. And mm-hmm. like as a result, uh, some stuff gets lost, and like some really good books like don't get read. Yeah, well, uh, Weathermen. That's one that I slept on. 
Talk and to me about Weatherman. Weatherman is uh, someone's, a, a terrorist's mind has been transported into a future Weatherman's head. Yes. The Weatherman has no idea. So it's a hard sell for that guy. Yeah. Because he is like a miserable, he's like the most reviled person in the universe. Yes. He's like, he like uh, he genocided the planet, a, a planet or Earth or something. But art, amazing. Writing, super fun. And someone I'd never heard of. And the artists too. I hadn't, I'd never heard of them either. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, maybe like eight issues in. Mm-hmm. That's on my weekly now, but I just had to get the uh, trade paper bag because I just was like, uh, another like, it looked kind of like a flashy, high concept, low output sort of book. Yeah. Like it's going to be more design than uh, actual like. And we should say that the, the creators, Jody LaHoype, La I'm probably saying that wrong, and Nathan Fox for mm-hmm. The Weathermen. Now, did you, but you bought it in trade. Yes. So that's interesting because then you see these number ones like, oh, this could be cool. And like, I've I've heard pretty good things about it, but I'm not going to scoop it up in single issues. And it's technically cheaper to get it in trade, which I buy at Vault of Midnight, the trades. (laughs) Sure. Don't buy them at Target. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, And this is my point. This whole meandering long thing is my point is like, if if anybody is going to be picking up the stuff that is going to make for a more like well-rounded industry, mm-hmm. weird stuff like Weathermen or a new Jeff Lemire book or Folklords by Matt Kent. Like if anybody is the audience for that stuff, it is you, me, Nick Burtzos, and people like you mm-hmm. that don't just want to read the new issue of X-Men, for instance. Not that there's anything wrong with X-Men, but like that's the kind of stuff that lifts the whole industry up is when you read the weird shit. Right. And like even you are feeling... Uh, a little a little fatigued by yeah. it. Weird shit fatigue. Yeah. And like my buddies that uh, were quote unquote comic journalists with me, they don't buy any anymore. Mm-hmm. They're just done. Yep. They just bur- did they just burn out? They on burned the thing, out. Or? Um, it's not the cheapest habit, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not the worst habit to have. No, no. And it's it's not it's as expensive as you want it to be. Um, I feel like it's very controllable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just ask my wife in the closet that we've committed to the. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it's, an, it's awful in there. And this is the point: is that all this stuff kind of like comes around to seeing like a year that's kind of flat in sales. Mm-hmm. Which who cares how comic shops are doing? I mean, I personally care, but like in the larger sense, like who cares if the direct market is only up one point eight one percent? Except right. this is the thing: there's no other way to support this medium except for through comic shops. There's no other way to support single issue comics like as a medium of art, unless you're getting them from the direct market. There's right. literally no other option. So th- in the sense that it matters, that's why it matters and why I'm curious as to like how this stuff happens and the thought process be- behind people that are really into this shit that like, you know, completely legitimately or, you know, wave off potentially really good books. Right. And it's also, I think it's, I think it's the, uh, the snake eating itself a little bit too, because those little books are mm-hmm. where... Um, artists, writers get their get their sea legs, yep, and then they get swooped up by Marvel, yep, or DC or something. Um, who's someone I can think of? Alex Maleev. Sure, that dude only write only draws DC Brian Michael Bendis junk now, yep. and that's cool for him. I bet, like, I bet he's having fun, and that's cool. But I remember when he would draw some super weird indie stuff from Image. Yep, and that's how I knew him. I mean, and this is Jonathan Hickman is like the biggest writer in the world at mm-hmm. this moment and had, 
you know, three or four of the top selling books last month, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies of his books sold. This mm -hmm. dude got his start writing Image Comics. Yep. Like, that, 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 that is where anybody heard of him for the first time, and then he gets, he starts doing work with the big two. Right, and... uh I mean, like like we were saying, folklords. Uh, Matt Smith is the artist on that. It would be it would be appropriate in any all ages book mm -hmm. and any any book. Yeah. Like it's just his it's just art would be good classic, uh, little cartoony mm -hmm. uh, art, and it's awesome. But is he gonna get uh, propelled in the respect that he should? Yeah. If nobody's buying folklores, he's not going to get a Marvel book. Yeah. If no one's buying folklore. And I think this stuff, like the the smaller publisher stuff, like it still is serving that purpose. Like you still mm -hmm. see people writing good books that an editor at DC or Marvel reads and knows that it's good, even if it didn't, you know, sell. You know, I don't think Jonathan Hickman was ever like a sales juggernaut. No. When he was putting out the nightly news or whatever for no. <laughs> Image, but like these guys, I think they're still getting on people's radar. So to that end, it works. But yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it is. It's interesting. But then at the end of the year, I'm still going to think, oh, 2019 was the year that Mr. Miracle came out and right. uh, X-Men. Right. That's all I'm going to think about. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, regardless, one way or the other, a bunch of comics came out this week. We're still part of the industry, Nick. We're still part of the industry. I would like to know, did you read any comics this week? I did. I read a couple comics this week. Did you? I did. Did you? What'd you like? Let's see. <laughs> Uh, the coolest thing I read this week is probably X Men number two. X Men <laughs> to number be one two. of those guys. This is what I'm saying. This is the thing. Uh, this is yeah. We're in month two of of X Men now. You dug it? I loved it. Are um, you reading? There are like any number of books that are also coming out. And I got all of them. And you got all of them. Yeah, are, I'm you, just you, hoarding them. Are you enjoying it? Um, so far, there's there's some good ones. There's some there's some not as good ones. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm surprised how much I liked Marauders. Re yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was pretty cool. It's like a um, Kitty Pride's a pirate. Kitty Pride's the captain of a pirate ship. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Are you a, an X Men guy before this? Before all of this, this event happened. Like, were you following? Did you give a shit about the X Men universe? Um, I always have given a shit about the X Men universe. Oh, okay. But I, I feel like every single person that says that is also like, well, I liked X Men when it's good. Mm -hmm. So. With that being said, I hadn't followed it in a couple of years. I think I read X-Men Red, the mm -hmm. one where Jean Grey is accused of killing somebody. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some spinoffs that are all right. But yeah. the last, I mean, my favorite is The Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon. Sure. Is one of my favorites. Astonishing X-Men is like a standalone X-Men thing that literally anybody can read. You don't need to know anything about the X-Men except for that they are that. Yes. And- it's like eminently readable. It's also one of my favorite things because the copy I have, it's a big old hardcover, full collection. I'm, I think it's still in print. Mm -hmm. And the first like 20 pages, it says the, la the, the last 50 years of X-Men that you didn't have time to read. And it's just a quick little hits all these uh, plot points of the X-Men saga overall that have to do with this book. So when you get to a page that has... Uh, Sebastian Shaw on it. You know who that is, mm -hmm. and you ha you know something about them. You're not constantly looking at Wikipedia yeah. to figure it out. Which and that didn't exist when I read it 
when it first mm-hmm. came out and it doesn't matter. Like no. you, you don't need it. It's cool to have it in there. It's not, super cool. But, yeah. It's a great addition in this like big old hardcover. But um, besides but you read X-Men now. I'm reading X-Men now. And what do you think of the second, the X-Men number two? The second one was pretty good. The first one was pretty tonally different than the House of X, Powers of 10. What's the, what's um, going on? So when last we met the X-Men, mm-hmm. the island of Krakoa has been established as the, the home of all mutants. Correct. And now they just live there chilling out just chilling on Krakoa but they're also like expanding Krakoa seems like Cyclops is like living on the moon Mm -hmm. via Krakoa because you can plant those seeds anywhere Um, he also that's an insane sentence that doesn't make any sense but go on uh, you can take a Krakoa seed yes build your own sort of sanctuary yeah and he chose why not the moon because I'm Cyclops and we're the fucking X-Men yeah he also lives there with Jean Grey Mm mm-hmm Cable, his kids, Hope Summer, yeah, uh, Vulcan maybe, yeah. Uh, his brother lives there. Wolverine lives there. Does he live there? Wolverine lives there. Oh, that's cool. Uh, they. Have... I think I feel like Wolverine mostly lives on the ground. Yeah, in the woods. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he's not hanging out around the crib. He has a room there. Oh, that's nice. There is a very uh, <laughs> risque floor plan yeah. in X Men number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, and the premise is that like. Well, we got this paradise. Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> and then stuff starts going wrong. It was a pretty good Oh, book. you think stuff's going to go wrong? Yeah, stuff's starting to go wrong. Stuff's well, starting to go wrong. Krakoa, like, freaked out in this one and starts moving towards another island that but, is growing out of the Pacific. So, yeah, yeah things yeah, are going wrong. Things are going wrong. And we got another... I'm going to bring it up. Please. We got another weird, ambiguous, all-white entity from Jonathan Hickman, just mm-hmm. like I Love. Jonathan Hickman loves an, an ambiguous white entity. We've got East of West. Yep. Not so ambiguous. It's just the main characters all, all white. white. Stark white. Everything is white. Yep. There's no shadow on this person. It's death. Mm-hmm. There's no shadow. There's nothing. Uh, Black Monday murders. The protag- or the the like antagonists, all white. Weird looking. What else we got? Uh, the Dead and the Dying. What is the name the of that? The Dying book? and the Dead. The Dying and the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an entire underground race of people that are just. And I'm not all talking. White. Not talking about just white people. We're not I'm talking about, about like yeah, like stark white. Stark white. Something's wrong with the like. They're not. They're entities. They're entities. They all feel impossible. They're yeah. impossibly white. Yes, they're impossibly white. Yeah, just like the two of us. Yeah, just like the two of us. <laughs> um. I feel like his in his, in his Avengers run, there's also some like weird white entities. Yeah, it's it's a thing that he loves. What you know, is that? The, you know what I noticed when I was reading this book is uh, Jonathan Hickman, not a funny writer. No. And when he reaches for the funny, it lands with a thud. <laughs> it jo- just doesn't work. Jonathan Hickman, pound for pound, is the best like high concept writer mm-hmm. in comics. He just like he'll throw out these giant ideas, like the idea of like the lore behind them mm-hmm. is always mind boggling and interesting, and you want to know more about it. And he gives you just a little taste of it, yeah. And then he'll like fold it all together, and like you'll see how it all comes into focus. But the moment by moment instances of human beings or mutants or whatever mm-hmm. interacting with each other is occasionally painful. Yes, to behold. Did you notice there's this some, in this book? There's some very stiff conversations in this book. This is like Scott Summer, Cyclops, mm-hmm. hanging out with his kids. Right. And they all feel like strangers to each other. Yeah. And the jokes that they're making with each other are rough. Yeah. It's not. It wasn't. It was probably like one of the the worst uh, 
iterations of this X series that Jonathan Hickman has written. Yeah, and I think it's because he's just not the, his thing is not human. What do I want to say? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. It's not, it's not human interaction. That mm-hmm. is not where he shines. Right. Whereas, like, somewhere in, like, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Brian K. Vaughn, I think, is really good at, like, writing realistic conversations. Yeah. I mean, there's no shortage of writers, for sure. No, and it's, it's Hick- just those no, two. No, just those two. <laughs> they have to be named Brian. But, <laughs> but, jo- but Jonathan Hickman, it is not his strong suit. So we, we get this concept in Powers of X, House of Ten, that the X-Men are reincarnated from eggs, basically. That's all I needed. Jonathan Hickman could have that Jonathan Hickman could have said, uh, Charles Xavier figured out this magic egg thing. Who cares? Shut up. Mm-hmm. Stop thinking about it. Yes. D- yes, Mr. Hickman. Yes, you Anything got it. you say. Instead, he pulls together five rando mutants. Yep. And one of them, one of their powers is just synergy. Mm-hmm. Like making everything go together. Yeah. We got gold ball. We've got s- gold balls, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who goes by egg now? He goes by egg because but he like, makes the eggs. But like this, this high level of, of of thinking that like Jonathan Hickman made it so X many. Yes, is so perfect. It's really but cool. Then a father and a son going through a jungle is just a weird, awkward day trip. Yeah, that is the most uh, fantastic thing. Right in, <laughs> in Jonathan Hickman's X Men, like the most improbable, implausible thing is a dad talking to his daughter about right. planning a vacation, which happens in X Men number two. Yep. And it was not good. It's a much bigger reach, it turns out, than growing mutants out of eggs <laughs> somehow. Oh, well. Still the best thing I read. Still pretty good. God, it was Still great. pretty good. Also, I love how Cable looks now. Everyone is that they're peak X-Men. Mm-hmm. So because of these eggs, they come out at their like physical, yeah. uh, like the top peak physicality of themselves. So it seems like Cyclops is the same age as his kids yeah. because they're all like 25 beautiful human being mutants. Sorry, mutants. Yeah. And Cable is just looking good. Yeah. He's got like a cool haircut and he just looks cool. He I love looks, it. If you were going to be born out of an egg, what age would you would you emerge out of that egg? What would you crawl out oh, of that man. egg as? What S- version of Nick Birdsos? I went to the doctor the other day yeah. to get a physical. Yeah. He said... <laughs> Mr. Birdsos, you're the healthiest you've ever been in your entire life. Yes. So I guess. Right now. 34. All right. Um, I feel like I would come back as like, I feel like 25 was a nice strong year. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't sad all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. When when would you come back? Like 10 years from now. 10 years from now? Oh, just a super strong 40 something year old. Exactly. I, do you, um, if you could come back and determine where the gray hairs are on your head, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about wow. anything. Putting me on blast. Well, no, I have gray hairs in my head. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're both around the same age and yep. it's, it's starting to happen on where, your head. Where would I want the gray would you want hairs like, on Would my you head? want the, like a, a cable streak? Would you want like a Bruce? I'd go stark white. I'd go Ted Danson white tomorrow. Oh, hell I'd yes. I'd look like a fucking, I'd look like the antagonist of a Jonathan Hickman. You- <laughs> You would have the hair of a Jonathan Hickman bad guy. If, if I c- could have my druthers. I would I would go with the side Reed Richards yes. uh, one. I think I'm Oh, I think you I'm could rock it. that. I think I'm working it too. Yeah. Anyway. And just the sides of your mustache. Just like the little 
little little uh, side push brooms of my mustache. Yeah. Hey, Nick. Yeah. What did you read this week? I, I read so many things, but I was struck by The Dollhouse Family Ooh. by M.R. Carey. I read that, too. Who's also goes by Mike Carey, He's who's written a lot of comics that you might like and have heard of. Uh, and Peter Gross did the art. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a DC Black Label book. It is also an imprint of the D- is a sub-imprint. Okay, tell me more. Of the Black Label called Hill House. So Black stay with label. me here. This okay. is confusing. Yeah. So DC Black Label, it's an imprint of DC Comics that was announced in uh, 2018. And the premise is that the imprint is going to provide a home for writers that want to craft stories that are like edgy. Or How edgy? So edgy. Or provocative. This sounds like Brian Azzarello territory. You think Brian Azzarello <laughs> if you want. So, or... Like, if you want to make books without the constraint of being tied to DC continuity, like, like uh, if this very famous seminal killing joke was sure. published today, it would probably be under black. If Watchmen was mm-hmm. published today, it would probably be a black label book just to, like, orient ourselves. That I like. Yeah, because DC would love to get another killing joke or Watchmen. So, like, let's provide a home where this stuff could be published is the premise of the thing. Yeah. So the first releases for Black Label, you got Batman Damned, and you got Superman Year One. Favorite book we've ever read. I was not very into either of those books, but they were both certainly very edgy Mm -hmm. and very provocative. Yes. And (laughs) that's one way of putting it. Yes. It was like, and it's also, I mean, it's my least favorite type of superhero storytelling. Yeah. It's like Batman with gore. Yeah, I'm not into it. It's like Superman, but, but gritty. Right. I mean, we all saw what a what a success Man of Steel was by making Superman a little angsty. Yeah, angsty might be another good word for like the DC Black Label uh, mission statement. Yeah, and or at least that's what it sounded like, and that's what it kind of was feeling like when those two books were released specifically. And it's kind of what I was expecting. They want to produce like quote unquote adult titles, which seemed like what that really meant is like they want to be able to. Uh, put some nudity in there, and they want to use swears. Mm-hmm. And bloody. And graphic violence. Uh, but it didn't really seem like they're do- using it to like do what The Killing Joke did, for instance, which mm-hmm. is, and The Killing Joke is this like famous Alan Moore Batman story where we find out a little bit about the origins of the Joker, and we like take a look at the, it's like a perspective, uh, a Batman story from the Joker's perspective like mm-hmm. before everyone was doing that. Mm-hmm. And right? it's a classic. It's a classic, and it is... Like, and it involves some graphic it's, violence, it's, some nudity. It's really, really intense. Very messed up concepts. Yes. Um, but this DC Black Label stuff, especially when they are st- first starting to get going, it feels like they want to go edgy first and not really trying to do anything like to push stuff forward or to do anything weird, which right. is kind of what I was like in the back of my mind, like, oh, maybe this will give them permission to do weird stuff. But that mm-hmm. kind of hasn't presented itself quite yet. Um, so we've also seen like Curse of the White Knight, Right. Uh, under the DC Black Label, which is another like Batman Elseworld story. So kind of un- un- underwhelming. Uh, but over the past couple of weeks, we started to see some more offbeat uh, Vertigo-ish styles uh, releases mm-hmm. coming out of DC Black Label. Uh, we have The Last God, which was another twist on a classic fantasy trope. Ooh, like we tell me earlier. more. And then we have... What's cool and what caught my eye this week and the uh, with the last release, Joe Hill's Hill House Comics. Yes. So Hill Joe Hill is a uh, prose writer. Mm-hmm. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He writes horror stuff. He I 
hate to say this every time, but like it kind of orients him really well. He's the son of Stephen King. Yeah, he's and full of nightmares. He's full of nightmares, and he's got, bred of nightmares. And it and he kind of writes like in these big, high concept, fantasy ish, horror ish mm-hmm. type stuff, akin to like some Stephen King stuff. So it does kind of like he's in the Stephen King universe of horror writing for sure. He happens to be his son. Yeah. Um. And Joe Hill is overseeing this collection of comics, like this curated bunch of edited titles mm-hmm. that uh, one of them he is writing, Basket right. of Heads, Basket Full of Heads. Basket Full of Heads. Which was really good. And the next release out of Hill House Comics is this new book, um, The Dollhouse Family. Thank you. I couldn't remember the name You're of it. Welcome. I liked it so much. Um, so Dollhouse Family is about a troubled British family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Pete, mm-hmm. you got Kel, which I am pr- only pretty sure is her name because she goes by mom for most of the book. Yes, it um, is Kel. It is Kel and their daughter, Alice. And they acquire a dollhouse via inheritance, which is the spookiest way to acquire goods. Yeah, and it's it's definitely mysterious inheritance. It's extre- It's a mysterious inheritance, yes. It's, you just, you, it's bound to be haunted. Oh, for you sure. You just know it is. It's up to no good, at least. Yep. And Pete, the dad, he sucks, and he hits his wife, and Alice kind of like escapes into fantasy by playing with this dollhouse. Mm-hmm. And then she escapes into it literally because she learns that she can shrink down and hang out in there with the dolls that came with yes. the house. Yeah, and they have like a very normal family in the house. Yes. Where she gets to like play and eat dinner, and the dad doesn't beat the crap out of the mom. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then meanwhile, and this is kind of what grabbed me, is like, meanwhile, an alien entity or something crashed into Earth millions of years ago (laughs) and has just like been hanging out beneath the crust of the Earth. Yes. And our B plot is this archaeologist or land surveyor, rather, Mm -hmm. who is exploring and stumbles upon this thing underneath the Earth. And are those two things related? Is this ancient alien entity that hangs out under the earth related to this creepy dollhouse? <gasps> we don't know. Well, probably it is, we think. If I were a betting man. Yeah. It's dope. I, I thought it was kind of unsettling and intriguing. Yeah. The bad dad is like a little cartoonishly bad. It reminded me of like a Frank Miller bad guy where it's yes. just like- or a, have... or a Mark Miller bad guy. Or a Mark Miller bad guy. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Mark Miller. Yeah. Uh, just like they have to be so cartoonishly bad that it's like improbable. And then it's just so that like whatever happens to them, you're okay with. Yeah. Whatever like horrible, fantastically violent thing happens to them. Like you're oh. like, yeah, cool, which is kind of cheap. He's going to get it. You just know he's going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the dolls are going to eat his face. But it was it was decently creepy. Yes, this it book. was. It like, was moody yeah. and unsettling. They sent they set a good vibe of uh of un- of unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um they establish it really really early on and the tone's consistent all the way through and like I'll be back. And mm-hmm. this is making me excited about DC Black Label for the first time. Yeah, it should. I mean, I'm not a horror comic fan. Mm-hmm. I've just found that in my wheelhouse of things I enjoy reading and and seeing even. Like, horror movies are not my jam. Mm-hmm. The plots just seem almost too fantastical. Yeah. And, ru- and especially nowadays, uh, I feel like they rely on violence and that gritty aspect that we're, we're talking about. But this one was, yeah, it was just interesting. The Land Surveyor subplot was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, I would I would definitely uh, come back for more on this one. Yeah, the land surveyor, so the, the thing that crashed into Earth and the land surveyor getting, like, lost in tunnels trying to find the, or, it, like, accidentally finding this thing. Like, he's only down there for, like, three days. Yeah, he got he <laughs> kept me going. Yeah. He's, the like, the, the dollhouse family itself, like, the actual right. dollhouse is like, oh, this is kind of interesting and creepy, but, like, the, the larger thing that could be happening behind it, I, I was all in. Yeah, and I want to watch those dolls kill that dad. Yeah. And this made absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, just crawling all over him, just oh, just just <laughs> giving it to that dad, <laughs> their little doll hands, just ripping him up. Yeah, please. Hey, I have a question, please. When you read this, yes, did you read the voices of the family mm-hmm. with British accents? Oh, you know I did, baby. Did you? Yeah, of course I, I did, did too. And I thought it was it made it a little bit goofy. Oh, hello, Alice. Yeah, I guess it's just because of my. Come on and play with us. Yeah. Come on, come on. Your daddy's hitting mom again. Time to just play with your doll. Oh, let's just play some cards and while yeah. the afternoon away. I'm yeah. so glad you've spent time with us again, Alice. Say this little riddle on and shrink <laughs> down with us, Alice. Do you come remember on. the riddle? The riddle was weird. The riddle was actually a little weird. Yes, kind of I'm creepy. really glad that you read that. That well, they all had British accents. But the little dollhouse guys had a very particular (laughs) British accent. Yeah, definitely. Uh, This book also made me think about kind of like imprints and sub-imprints in general. Imprints are weird. And I keep saying that that word as if anybody knows what it means. But like DC is a publisher and DC carries with it like a lot of connotation. Like when you hear DC, you think Superman. Mm -hmm. And for some people, or you think superheroes and you think like, D- Superman and the fact that he hangs out with Batman who sometimes hangs out with the Green Lantern and sometimes they all do stuff together mm-hmm. and then they split apart and the things they did together impacts the things that they do when they're alone and that's continuity. Yes. That is superheroes like sharing a timeline, right? Correct. So this is the problem with like telling good stories is that you are tied to the thing. You are tied mm-hmm. to the continuity and sometimes you can craft a really good story out of that continuity and out of like this weird timeline that we've all agreed is like happening, quote unquote. But it's tough if you want to break outside of that or to push at it or to do right. weird shit if you have to pay attention to it too closely. And in theory, this is where imprints can be cool. Yeah. Is that DC Comics can still put out a book, but I don't have to worry or, you know, it's pretend that like if I don't have to care about whether or not Alice hangs out with Batman. Right. Alice from the Dollhouse family, for instance. <laughs> Where's Batman in this story? Yeah. DC. So, and I, I feel like I wish that we didn't have imprints. Okay. Because, but I think that like there was no DC Black Label. Right. Sure. I think it is. I think it's like a little extraneous and just like, what's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Let's let's just make good stories. What do you need this for? Yeah. I get that. I did get excited though when you said, you know, like the gritty, the violence, that that stuff that they're trying to go the adult themes of Black Label. That does not excite me. The Elseworlds, outside continuity stuff where we could just be like. What if Batman was like a poor dude yeah. who didn't, who wasn't like a millionaire, like like it's just some like weird continuity thing that that did strike me. You just said that, and I was thinking to myself like that's interesting. Yeah, interesting and writing. and to have like a like a a home to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But like in this case, we have DC at up top, and then beneath that we have DC Black Label, mm-hmm. and now beneath that we have Joe Hill's presents Hill House Comics. That is weird. And now it's kind of cumbersome, and I don't know that. I'm glad that Joe Hill has like mm-hmm. a curated thing, 
But like, could he just do that under the umbrella of DC Comics? And if you are worried about whether Alice hangs out with Batman, like you should probably just go take a deep knee bend. Yeah. <laughs> and like relax, because yeah. who gives a shit? And if you want to tell a, a, a weird Batman story where he's a poor guy, which was your your pitch <laughs> just yep. now. Uh, and If anyone's listening. Then just do that and tell the story. And maybe who cares if it's part of the D. And so then it makes me think like maybe my beef is just with like superhero continuity. And, sure. Uh, and I, it, I'm talking about a separate thing maybe mm-hmm. at that point. But I isn't was. It, please. Isn't it going to be funny in uh, the dollhouse family number three when those dolls crawl crawl into the dad's mouth and just start getting him from the inside yeah. and he yells, Batman, help me! <laughs> and then Batman shows up. Isn't yeah. that, aren't you going to feel stupid? That actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know what, though? This got me thinking a little yes. bit um, how Joe Hill is sort of uh, curating this, this I, these ideas and how at Marvel we've got a similar aspect with, uh, what are those superheroes? There's like a group of them. Oh, the X-Men. Mm. Uh, I know we don't talk about them very often. Sure. But, uh, we've got Jonathan Hickman doing sort of the same sounding That's thing. That's interesting, yeah. Uh, and how maybe the big two, especially Marvel, DC, are are seeing that like, okay, we need these guys to write books, but we also, what if we got them to write, to get the other writers to write better books, more yeah. like their books? Yeah. Or like give them some ideas, like, you know, break a piece off for old Jerry Dukin. Yeah. Give it here. So like the, and the premise of the Jonathan Hickman stuff too is like, he just set aside whatever was going on in the X-Men at that mm-hmm. point. And he's like, this, I am just going to make up this thing. It's going to be an homage to some crazy ass superhero shit. Yeah. They're, I'm like, I'm going to pull from characters from the 80s. And like, this is, it's going to be deeply tied to the Marvel universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, he kind of had to press a little bit of a reset button in yeah. order to tell this story. Because if he told this story, picking up on the last thing that happened to the X-Men, it would be less approachable and it would probably be less interesting. Right. So you want writers to just like, hey, here are these characters. They've got a rich lore and history. Do some weird stuff with them. Yeah. But then, but you're tied to continuity. Right. And this is why these publishers have to reset everything every four years mm-hmm. because it turns into like this spaghetti stranded mess that nobody can write their way out of. And the stories start to become nonsensical. And they're like, okay, now it's a reset. Now it's Marvel now. Now it's whatever. Yeah. Now it's a DC's A New Day. I can't even remember the name of the last oh, DC. Uh, yeah. Reborn. Rebirth. Re- rebirth. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you would have to sit back. Jonathan Hickman basically has to sit back and be like, okay, do I want to explain to the people that have been reading X-Men recently why Charles Xavier is back? Or do I want to explain to all the new people 70 years of continuity that they won't ever want to... Right. They don't want to hear. Exactly. Why isn't Charles Xavier here? Oh, well, he's not around anymore. Yep. Neither Cyclops or Logan. Because or... these things that happened last month that you probably weren't reading well, about... Like two years ago. Or, but, whatever. Yeah. And the in, the in the interest of like telling this big, cool story, you just throw it out the window. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the curating is kind of an interesting take that I I'm not familiar with in the comic book industry. Yeah. As much as, you know, Joe Hill's doing it and... Hickman, it seems like there's like a writer's room over at Marvel at this point. Yeah. For specifically the X-Men only. But And if this is the and if the the result of all of this kind of stuff, it's like if that's where we are in comics, is that we're just leaning more into good writers and saying, do your thing. And if we have to make up an imprint in order to do that, in order to say curate some stuff and mm-hmm. build your own little corner of this thing for a while, that's only good. Yeah, right? Because I agree. that's not traditionally how single issue comics have worked. So that's cool. Yeah. Um and I guess on another level 
the black label is innocuous at best. Like if it, because if it does anything to steer kids away from reading Superman Year One, yes, then it's worth every penny. God, it's terrible. Yeah. Also, it wasn't edgy or anything. Yeah. It's just stupid. I liked the. Uh, uh, I don't know. Do you want to talk about Young Animal? No. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I think we got to call it. That's fine. Sweet. Hey, yeah, that was some comics this week, though. They were good. Some of them were good. Some of them were good. Yeah. Some of them were underwhelming. Yeah. But some of them were good. Some of them were really good. Did you, uh, before we leave for the day, did you have anything to recommend, though, that's not a comic and not a board game? Not a comic, not a board game. Um, I have been drinking a lot of natural ice seltzer. Catalina Lime Mixer. What is that? Have you heard of this? No, man. Okay. So the newest craze... Mm. Is the seltzers, the White Claws. The White Claws. Trulies. Low-cal. Low-cal. So, you know, body-friendly. Sure. Um, Light, breezy, don't taste like alcohol. Mm -hmm. They just taste like soda. Like, they taste like a LaCroix. Okay. Like a a LaCroix you sat next to, like, a radiator, so it went a little bad. This is legal? Uh, Yeah. So they're, like, always 5% alcohol. Okay. Uh, They come in cans, and it's like, I want to... I want something fizzy and cold because it's a hot day and I just mowed the lawn, but I don't want a beer and all those calories because yeah, I just yeah. went to the gym. Because I'm my, my perfect answer, egg self right now. Yeah, I'm I my wanna, perfect. I want to maintain this. I want to. Per- I want this perfect health to keep to keep flowing through my veins. So I don't get the shame that I get when I drink disgusting <laughs> beer. So my prayers have been answered. Thank Todd. Yeah. Natural ice. Maker of Natty Ice, the, but they made a seltzer. It's called Catalina Lime Mixer, oh and God. you you drink it. You drink it. You drink it slow, and it's in a big like a double deuce can. You put a little paper bag around it. You drink it. It's a little sweet. It's very bubbly, and then right at the right at the end, Nick, mm-hmm. right at the end of the flavor, you get the natty. Yeah, and it's and you re, you're reminded you are human garbage, <laughs> and you deserve what you're doing right now. And it's yeah. great. I love it. All right. Uh, Catalina Lime Mixer. Can you just buy this? Is this something you have to make yourself or? Oh, no. It's, it is something that you purchase at okay, a store. Okay, cool, cool. I wish I could make it. Hey, do you have a recommendo? My recommendo is I can't, I can only recommend Death Stranding, the video game by okay. uh, Hideo Kojima. Here we go. Buckle it, up. All right. It is a work of high video game art. It is the most bonkers thing that I have ever played or maybe like even like seen as in a like from a movie or it is I don't even know how to begin to describe it except that you know you just to give you a taste you know you the whole game you're carrying around a little baby in a jar on your chest that sees ghosts and that's that's like the fifth craziest thing in this game (laughs) it's a game about delivering packages yep uh it's uh I don't learn anything about it if you can somehow avoid watching any trailers or anything about just go into it completely blind it is probably at this point it's my game of the year it might be one of my favorite games really like i can't stop thinking about it it's deep in my head it beats sekiro is that how you say it yeah sekiro yeah sekiro it's extremely good and so weird and it can't be anything other than a video game sure and hideo kojima is an insane person in the best possible way i don't want to go off on any tangents but when when a medium 
brings the heat that only that medium can bring. Comic books, video games, uh, a cinematic experience of some sort, music. Yeah. It's it is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful. It's a singular sensation. It's so cool. And this dude, uh, Kojima, like knows he he understands video games in a way that like nobody else does, and in a way that makes him kind of an asshole. Like sure. to be totally frank, but also makes him, I think, objectively a genius. And I I love this game. That's pretty cool. Can can you tell me how many Monster Energy drinks you've drank in real life? In real life, since you got the game, I haven't drank any in real life since I got the game. Before it, the product placement for Monster Energy Drink in this game is intense. This <laughs> is the only thing I've really. This is the last about thing it. I'm going to say, and this probably won't even stay in the co- the podcast. But I want you to hear it. Perfect. So when you make uh, your character Sam Porter Bridges mm-hmm. uh, take a shit, which is a thing that you do in this game, right? A little a little toilet pops out in the shower because mm-hmm. you shit in the shower, which is the dream. Right? Oh, that's the dream. Yeah. And it's he's played by Norman Reedus, the actor yes. Norman Reedus. <laughs> yes. And when you take a shit, the shower door closes around Norman Reedus. The character. Right. And on the outside of the shower is an ad for Norman Reedus's AMC show. Uh, Ride with Norman or whatever. <laughs> Isn't that what it's called? I don't know what it's called. but Ride it, with Norman. So in this world, Norman Reedus exists. Right. And they're advertising for it <laughs> in his bathroom. Yep. To no one because it's on the outside. It's on the outside of, of the his toilet. private room hmm. that no one else is allowed to go inside. Jiminy Christmas. Like, I don't even know how to explain how fucking weird and brilliant that is. And it's either just like crass commercialist like product placement, or it's Kojima like like deeply fucking with the inside of your brain right? about like what where is the real world and this is a video game. You are playing a video game. He's like screaming at you all the time. Anyway, I can go on and on. But the show's over. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. It is my honor and pleasure. I appreciate it so much. And I also appreciate our editor, Aaron Polk. And I appreciate Abom, who did all of our music. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Would you like to take this next part? You can subscribe, download, or review for $500 Super Skull on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, if you would. Also, tell somebody about the show, steal their phone, and download it. And don't forget, you can follow us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and go to our website, Super Skull Show. is how you find us. Super Skull is brought to you every week. Uh, by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Nick Burtzos. And we wish you very good reading. Until next week. Natty Ice. Okay. I feel, man, I wrote this down and then I real, and then, you know, I just feel like Curtis would get on board with this. You think, yeah? Uh, he seems like a Natty Ice man. He seems like a Natty Ice man, and that's why I love him.